faith is something that is absolutely necessary for us to please God and to get what we need from the Lord to have breakthroughs. We looked at this uh, in depth, verses 1 to 5 in the past few morning calls. We're going to go to verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Can someone please read that verse for us? Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6. NLT version, Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And we saw clearly that faith is the evidence, is the receipt that we have in our hands. Even before the goods are delivered, just like in a store or something we order online, we expect that there will be a delivery for the of the merchandise that we've placed an order for, we've paid for. And usually when you call the merchant, especially with online orders, they will ask for an order number, which provides the details of how you are the rightful owner, buyer, the one who expects the delivery of the particular goods or service. Faith is called the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we cannot see. There's no other evidence in the natural. With our natural senses, we're not able to see what we're actually believing for from God in the supernatural realm to come down to us. Our God sits on the throne in heaven, encircled by myriads of angels, the Bible says. And he dispenses miracles to his children. As we heard the prayer earlier, that the Red Sea was divided miraculously so that his people can have safe passage away from the enemies, and then God used that same miraculous power to destroy the enemy. Our adversary is the devil and is continually seeking to afflict, to harass, to destroy God's people. He is furious against God and anything to do with God. We can know when a human being is hostile to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which after all is a gospel of love, of grace. God giving us the gift of faith even to believe and the grace freely to receive salvation. 
When hostility arises, we can know, no matter how that human being looks, and whether they try to conceal that hostility, or they're not able to conceal it, or they don't want to conceal it, what's in the heart eventually will be manifest for all to see sooner or later. But there are cases in which in which the hostility is immediately evident. We can know that the spirit behind the person at that moment, they can be the nicest person in the world, the most helpful. But there's a hostility that rises against Jesus Christ and the gospel of God, against the truth. This truth that says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. That I'm called to believe God for something I cannot perceive with the natural senses. God draws me by the hand as we often talk about Abram when he gives a consecutive series of promises to him by covenant with regards to the land that he or his descendants will inherit in Canaan where he was a stranger with reference to the nation that's going to come out of him and nations with reference to the Messiah coming through the child that he and Sarah were going to have, Isaac these, what people today will say incredible promises people say unbelievable but although in the natural it was unbelievable, in the supernatural realm of faith, it was possible. Because the one who promised is faithful. The severe obstacles that come up, such as with Abraham and his wife, can make one want to give up on the promise because it seems all the more evident that what was promised is just too good to be true and it's never happened before there's no precedent at that time for Abraham but we have all these precedents in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 shows dozens of precedents that we can look to and say, God, you did it for Abram, who became Abraham. You did it for Sarai, who became Sarah. You did it for Gideon. You did it for, Je you did it for Jephthah. Lord, you did it for so many people, for Deborah, for Barak. Lord, you did it for Samson. Lord, these people, some of them, they faltered. Some of them did. Not because God programmed them that way. They chose to step outside of God's will. They got hurt. But some of them, like Samson, they returned in the end. Praise be to God. Therefore, the mention of their sin is no more. Hallelujah. We can come to God and God can give us a brand new start. If we believe. Samson had everything going against him because he made a wrong choice. A series of wrong choices. He became headstrong, not just 
body strong or muscle strong. He became self-willed and he said, everything I do, everything I touch turns to gold. I have success after success. No matter what the enemy tries or what people try to do, I'm on a string of successes. I can't be stopped. And one day he was stopped. Because one day God saw that for him to continue like that, he's going to end up in hell. God allowed him to fall into the trap of the enemy. By the mercies of God, although God withdrew from him because he began to think that he was God and act like that, act independently of God, God in his mercy allowed him to be afflicted so that he can repent just in time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He repented and thereby saved his soul. Faith is not just the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. This uh, entity, this force, this reality that supernaturally I can trust God who is invisible to the human eye and I can trust that from his storehouse he has what I need. He will bring it to me. He will give it to me because he's a good father and he's an almighty creator. Faith is also evidenced by a testimony which includes and involves pleasing God. I was thankful yesterday as I briefly went to the vehicle just to sit there to watch the children while they were playing very briefly I turned on the Christian radio station which I seldom do because of so much of false teaching that abounds and hints here and there that twist the truth and make people feel empowered and well that they're doing well when they're actually disobeying I was thankful I was hearing very keenly because in one of the uh, interims between playing their songs this major station here where we live Christian station there was a recording of a young woman she said I've, I got saved when I was 9 and she said I'm 32 she said I feel a disconnect with God and she said no matter how hard I try it seems I can never be good enough to please God and I thought here we go again With such a statement and introduction, most likely, most probably, I mean, what I've heard so far, I expected the announcer to say, oh, how hard can you try anyway? You're just a human being. You can take comfort in the fact that God is a very forgiving God. And he loves you. And uh, don't worry about that. You got saved when you were nine and Nobody can undo that. You may feel a disconnect with God now, but don't you worry. God is right here. In fact, I'm going to pray for you. Everything's going to be okay. And dismiss her back into what obviously is a problematic relationship with God. God never is the source of the problem. I was so thankful that this announcer 
as they're prone to in the kind of format that they uh, have to maintain with some jokes here and there. He said with uh, a little bit of uh, cheer, exactly the right thing. I'm so thankful. He encouraged their listener and he said, you know, no matter how you feel, because we can feel up one day and down the next day or even within the span of a few minutes. So fragile. I was listening intently to see whether he's going to continue with the generic answer that destroys people because it's a perverted gospel. Thankfully, he said this. He said, no matter what you feel like and how you feel, he said, it seems to me that uh, if we obey God and please Him, that's all that matters. And he kept emphasizing obedience. And I thought, what a breath of fresh air on mainstream Christian radio to hear an announcer go straight to the crux of the matter in a gentle and loving way, but a truthful way. And he said, that's what I know. You know, that announcer voice, a little bit of chuckle, but he hit the nail right on the head. He said, our job is to please God. And if you can obey God, he said, you're pleasing Him. And if you're pleasing Him, don't worry, all is well. I wonder what effect that would have had on that young lady and on many people who are listening. Hopefully for the better that they would embrace that and say, you know what? This is not what I'm used to hearing on mainstream Christian radio. This is not what I'm used to hearing in church. I'm told that God loves you. And as long as you love God, as long as you love God, everything's fine. The devil will come to accuse you of your relationship with God. Feelings will come and go. Circumstances will be adverse. You just got to ride the tide. You just got to go with the flow. And it'll be okay at the end of the day. You know why? Because God loves you and you love God. Well, this announcer, just like in the book of Hebrews, and especially, particularly this morning, Hebrews 11, he said, um, if you love God, you really love God, you're going to please Him. Because it's a love relationship, just like in a marriage. The husband or wife, Ephesians 5 says very clearly, who love each other, and particularly the attention is given to the husband, because according to Ephesians and Colossians, the husband can get calloused and become bitter toward the wife as if she's some inferior human being in a relationship. Not always, but it seems that that was a problem of the day and could continue to this day. Where a, a man may think that he's superior in some way to the woman. And God says, husband, you want to exemplify real love? You want to follow in the footsteps of the Lord? You need to consider what your wife needs and be sacrificial and care for her, take care of her. 
And uh, in a marriage, we would expect that it's uh, fair to say that both parties love each other. And how is that evidence? In the time, the talent, and the treasure that two people invest for the welfare, for the contentment of the other, especially in marriage. When it becomes my money and your money, look, this is what I earned and this is my bonus. I'm going to decide what to do. And what you earn, you decide what to do. Well, that's like a dry partnership in a business enterprise, not a marriage. Jesus Christ is coming for a bride. That bride is expected to have genuine affection for the bridegroom. Can we expect anything less from a holy God who loved us and demonstrated that so radically and forthrightly as giving his very life on the cross for our heinous crimes, our sins. Is he wrong to expect that we evidence our love by obedience? By asking God, what pleases you? It's not about me. So the twist of the gospel is, especially today, not just this easy believism, which is, just say the prayer, send this prayer, and say you love God. And if you want to get dunked, we're going to have baptism today. Come on, quick. Who wants to get dunked today? And woohoo, do cartwheels, and have a, some, maybe a band playing, and uh, get the towels out. What a great, it was fantastic. Now let's go eat. And before the day's over, you see stark evidence of no transformation whatsoever. Not that the baptism per se can effect a radical transformation to give salvation, but the evidence should be there that I'm getting baptized because I've repented of my sins. And that's clear in the Bible. The only people eligible for baptism are the people who have actually demonstrated the faith not by achieving something superhuman somewhere, coming back after being a missionary for 30 years, I'm eligible to be baptized. No, we're not saved by works, but the genuine faith, just like we heard about Enoch and Abel in the opening verses of Hebrews 11, is evidenced by pleasing God and having a testimony that now my life belongs to Jesus Christ. And my heartbeat is, Lord, what pleases you? Because I really love you. Because you came down not to please yourself. The Son of Man came down not to serve, but to be served. Not to be served, that, that is, but to serve. He said, I didn't come down to be served, but I came to serve. And the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom. So, for what? That I can live, you can live. And God's Spirit comes into a person and regenerates them and all their passions are no longer after the instruments that give them pleasure. After the outings, the travel, the hobbies, the media, the movies, whatever it is, music, 
All of a sudden, all this comes into perspective. You know what? It's meaningless, as we quoted Ecclesiastes the other day. King Solomon had it all, and we mean all. The best technology of his day, the best science of his day, the best pleasures of his day in every area. You name it, food, physical pleasure, everything. He had it all. And he said, everything is vanity. Meaningless. Because ultimately, I have to keep getting more of this thing to kind of keep this false high going. And that's what lust is, as opposed to love. Genuine love is satisfied with a heart that gives to make someone else well. To bless someone else. That's the nature of genuine love. Even in a marriage relationship, it's written, the wife's body doesn't belong to her and the husband's body doesn't belong to him. Just like the resources. It's a partnership, but beyond that, there's a oneness. And so, everything we do is meaningless without love. And what lust is, we're not just talking about physical immorality. Any pursuit in life, it can be making money. It can be making music. How much do you have to do before you can sit down and say, I'm really, really happy and I never have to do this again to get any more happiness because I've reached the pinnacle of success. Alexander the Great found out, tragically, after doing very heroic things by man's standards, leading his army against formidable odds, and conquering his enemies at lightning speed, just like was prophesied by Daniel the prophet centuries before. At the end of his conquest, he sat on a hill crying, they said, at the age of 32, I believe. And his generals came and said, why are you crying? What happened, Master? Boss, what happened? We just had this, I mean, we have the world. You have the world in your palm, palm of your hands. That I'm crying because there's nothing else to conquer. It wasn't enough. Immoral pleasure is not enough. How much money can you get to be content? It's never enough because they're not meant to satisfy. And yet, the rat race continues like a hamster in that wheel. People keep making the same mistakes. And people in the church. They have a suspicion. There's an evil suspicion. Externally, they say, I love Jesus. I know God is the answer and He's my everything. And But internally, there's a betrayal because they really don't believe that. And that's why they go after other loves. But a person who really loves God demonstrates faith by obedience and seeking to please, just like in a marriage, the other person. Faith works by love. You can see many passages in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, when the Apostle is commending different churches, you'll see faith and love always together, never separated. In John 14 and John 15, the Lord Jesus says, if you love me, do what I say. And he goes further. He said, the one who doesn't love me is the one who doesn't do what I say. He can't say he loves me. He's a liar if he does say that and not do what I say real faith is 
evidenced by a genuine affection for God as the supreme passion of my life. There's nothing less than that that is given as a prescription for genuine discipleship in the pages of Scripture. Outside the pages of Scripture, we can find devotionals, we can find commentaries, we can find preachers, a dime a dozen as they say, many of them everywhere, telling us, don't get down on yourself. I know there's a disconnect. Don't beat up yourself because God loves you not based on your performance but based upon what he did on the cross. Well, there's a problem with that statement because it's not biblical. We have to define the word performance. Obviously, performance means something one performs. Something one does. God says, by what you do, you demonstrate your love for me. And if what I invested in you does not produce a return of loyalty from you to me, there's no covenant here because a covenant is based upon the agreement of two parties, just like a marriage. God takes it very seriously when he commands us to do something and we disobey and we do our own thing he says very clearly and plainly you don't love me and when you think about performance the devil has convoluted that word and the whole treatment of obedience and pleasing God and genuine faith by redefining things in his own way confuse people who are biblically illiterate or Knowing the truth, they defy the truth. What is performance? In the book of Micah, in the Old Testament Minor Prophet, prophetical book, in chapter 6, verse 8, we quote that time to time, he says, You know, O man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you, notice, requires of you, Three things he mentions, to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. In the book of Amos it's written, how can two walk together? How can they have fellowship unless they're agreed? How can I walk with God unless I agree with him, demonstrated by putting my money where my mouth is? Doing what he says for me to do. God doesn't want to hear lip service. Inasmuch as no woman or man wants to hear lip service from his or her spouse. They want a demonstration of the love. Love that is hidden is not real love. It will always communicate, always demonstrate itself. Not for show, but genuine affection, care and welfare for the other party. God says, if you do, we can equate do with perform. Not to earn points to get into heaven, but to demonstrate that I have a genuine faith. There's been a transformation. I no longer drink. Why? Because God says your body belongs to me. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Anything that you introduce, not just drink, it can be too much sugar. Somebody says, here we go, legalism. God says, no, obedience love genuine faith 
Because if I really believe God, yesterday we highlighted that, that the Israelites were condemned, the entire generation. God said, I had enough. Forty years I waited for you. And you kept two-timing me, backstabbing me, and working with my enemy, the devil. No matter how much I poured out on you, you keep lusting after things. Not content with my love. I'm so excited to take you into this uh, terrestrial, earthly paradise, Canaan, which symbolized the heavenly Canaan, where we're headed by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, by our following Jesus. There you go, we perform. Perform is not to earn my way into heaven, but to demonstrate that what Jesus did on the cross has become real in my life. Because Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, if anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They know me, and they follow me. This is God's description of performance because of his sacrifice that he made on the cross, sending his spirit to change us to no longer desire the things of the world, this perishing world. This laughter that very quickly turns into sorrow, permanent sorrow. What a waste. If any of you have seen films from the 50s and 60s, there's a whole time period in genre of these films where you see people going to the nightclubs. I mean, it was a common thing. It wasn't necessarily very, very loud and boisterous and introducing drugs and alcohol as we see today, perhaps. But it was the high society, you know, uh, pre-Kennedy days and Kennedy days the United States prospering and other nations just looking up to the U.S. Wow, I'd like to go to America. How many people all around the world? I'd like to be like America. It stood for something, including prosperity. And so what did people do? They didn't seek God and thank God. The majority of them began to say, hey, we have money. And you can't get by a day, not just a weekend, without coming home after a hard day. Maybe as a officer in the Air Force. And some of the sitcoms, television series, had all these different scenarios and situations. As an executive somewhere, as whatever profession or, or pastime a person engaged in, you got to have a drink. I mean, you can't call it a day or a night without a drink. you got to smoke. Everybody's doing it. What fun to do this and how boring without drinking or doing drugs or smoking or going out you know you can't be happy if you don't go out becoming very very defiant and ungrateful the generation started changing there was a generation in which people were happy and thankful that I have a job and I'm able to go to work and earn a living and 
by the sweat of my brow. It may take 12 hours, 16 hours a day to provide for my household. But I earned my living in a honest way and I had the contentment. I can rest my head at night knowing that I did good. And I'm thankful I, I can come home to a family and I have a meal to eat and my kids have meals to eat. I'm going to go and grind at it again tomorrow because I'm blessed to have a job. I'm blessed to have a family and be able to feed them. And on Sunday, we're going to gather up everybody. We're not going to work on Sunday. We're going to go to church. And I'm going to listen to the preacher. I'm going to make sure my kids listen too. Because I know this world is not my home. There was a generation where more people thought that way. There was a generation in which people who were grinding at the mill, so to speak, laboring very hard in an honest way for an honest wage, also had time to seek God in secret prayer on the field and at the factory and have the compassion of God to reach others while they were laboring, while they were tired, because they knew if my fellow man does not surrender to Jesus and receive his gift of grace and eternal life, they're going to go to an eternal torment. How can I stand idly by? Is that love? There's a performance. We look at Matthew 25. We see that God says, if you have genuine faith, you'll do something. Namely, you will visit the people in prison. Nobody wants to know their name. But you'll go and do it. You know why? As Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. It constrains me. How can I sit idly by when my fellow man is neglected? And they've been given a sentence. You're no good and you're bound to fail. God comes and he told you, he told me, you were a failure, but I came to give you success. Not in the eyes of the world, that kind of success that is fleeting and futile, but eternal riches with me. And that begins now. Genuine fellowship with me, knowing the living God. He said in Matthew 25, the genuine faith, a true disciple, a true child of God, can't help but Clothe the poor, the naked. Feed the hungry. They can't help but visit the people who are sick. It's no longer about themselves. They've come to understand the Son of God came down not to be served, but to serve. If His life is working in me, I need to do my part to make sure my generation gets fed with the pure gospel of Jesus, that they need to do what? Receive God's love and forgiveness, including repentance of their own sins. They've got to do that. Oh, but I thought you can't earn your way into heaven. No, we can't. But there's a performance required, namely repentance, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoner, clothing the naked. Matthew 25, he said, they're sheep and goats. I will divide, he said, on Judgment Day. Jesus said this. On my right hand, I will take the sheep. And on my left hand, there will be the goats. And how do I define sheep and goats? He said, by the things they live for, their motivations and their actions. So, 
God says in Revelation, genuine faith will the Son of Man, when he comes back, he says in the Gospels, will he find faith on the earth? At the end of Revelation, he says, I'm coming to give to every man, every, man, every person, according to what they've done in their body. There's a performance. It's not a performance to earn heaven, but to prove that I'm a citizen of heaven. God will always demand proof for the love that I profess with my lips in action, just like any one of us would do. With any friend who says, you know, I really like you, I really love you, I'm really your friend. Well, will you lay out or lay, put down some of your treasure or your time or your talents so that I can get better, that I can come out of my struggle? Would you pray for me with a sincere heart when nobody's looking? Would you invest that time instead of doing your own thing? Can we expect anything less of a holy God who's gone the distance and done what no one else could do? He was a lamb who slaughtered Blood splattered everywhere. Everywhere. The blood of the Holy Son of God. Not in vain. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him, trusts in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a performance the people came in John 6 and told Jesus, what should we do to do the works of God? He said, believe. You want to do something? There's something you have to do. Let me see the demonstration of your faith. Abraham demonstrated that he had a genuine faith and God was watching keenly through the course of his life to demonstrate it. Jacob had to demonstrate faith. We have to demonstrate faith. How? By obedience. Just like that as we close this morning, the Christian announcer yesterday evening, as I heard, said very gently, but very firmly, to the caller, don't be too concerned about your feelings. Thank God he didn't go the other way, as I said. He could have taken a different uh, direction with that, a detour. He could have started out saying, don't worry about your feelings. You can't trust your feelings. Trust in what God did on the cross and it's all right with you. The book of Hebrews, the book of James, all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation says, trust in the Lord in what he did for you. But make sure you're trustworthy from God's perspective must be loyal the kings in the Old Testament were evaluated by a few criteria one was they had to tear down the false altars they had to do it if they're going to be considered good they had to introduce reform beginning their own lives and their families and the kingdom to do what? seek God one more time with all our hearts. And ask Him for forgiveness. Lord, I thought I was a Christian. But I really don't care what you say. But I do love you. God says, 
as a part could say. If you don't care what I say, what kind of love is that? If you don't care to obey me, what kind of love is that? It's a satanic twist of the term love. The kings were evaluated by repentance. Have we torn down every false altar and crushed every idol in our lives to show that God is the Lord of my life? Jesus really is my Savior. He's come in. Matthew chapter 1, for he, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Why? So they don't have to go back to the vomit. But stay clean and walk in a path with a clear conscience. God never comes to beat us up, but he does come to allow us to get bruised to get chastened so that we can learn. David said, before I was afflicted, I was all over the place. I was astray. But I'm thankful that God has afflicted me, David said, because now I'm able to learn your commandments and their life to me. Faith, pleasing God, obedience are inseparable. Faith and love are inseparable. We need to know how the devil, the clever deceiver theologian, has twisted God's word and redefined the terms biblically. We need to know. Lord, what do you mean by faith and what do you mean by love? I want to make sure I'm going to heaven because my days are numbered. Everybody's days are numbered. We have only so much time. And there are people who, before they could even think about it, they said, you know what, I'll think about salvation what I heard next Tuesday. They're gone by Saturday. My God. What a tragedy to have been given the key to heaven. And to say, I'm not interested right now. Not just yet. Never get to use that to unlock the door. May the Lord help us to know the biblical definition of faith, the biblical definition of love from the Holy Spirit, and make sure we're safe. Make sure we do what we would expect of a person who calls himself or herself our friend what we would expect in a marriage or in marriages that we observe. Why did you get married? And why are you married? I thought it was supposed to be based on love. Yeah, but this person's not compatible with me. We have irreconcilable differences. I thought marriage was about self-sacrificial love. And working out the differences. And working through the difficulties. Better or for worse. I thought it was a covenant. Yeah, it didn't work for me. So I'm going to go look for somebody new. This is Satan's version of relationships. And so-called love. But you know, when a human being, man or woman, 
gets born again? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and the power of the Word of God and the love of God and the nurture of God and the warnings of God, that person's entire life, every area, is bound to be transformed. Because God came to save the total person. And God won't rest until we are conformed to the image of His beloved Son. We ought to say, Lord, I'm all for it. I know you'll do your part. What's my part? I want to demonstrate that I believe in you, Lord, by doing my part. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for your love and kindness. We thank you, Lord, that faith pleases you as a testimony. And without faith, it's impossible to please you. And that faith is evidenced in obedience. Lord, help us to consider the poor. The people that are shut out of society. Because they, they can no longer, Lord, be functional, quote-unquote. They're devalued. Help us to love such people. Because they're made in the image of God. And whatever has caused them to become incapacitated help us to go and reach them with the gospel of Jesus help us demonstrate our faith by getting outside of our prison called self always thinking about ourselves or our own family looking out and seeing that the fields are ripe unto harvest, you've given us a commission to go. Teach everybody. Turn to you all this time. We thank you, Lord, that for our problems, Lord, for our pain, for our struggles, for the attacks of the enemy against us, for being on their pilgrimage, your very present help and trouble, Lord, to help us, Lord, to help us, Lord, as we pray, as we demonstrate faith by talking to you and calling upon your name, Lord, individually and together, to know that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous people, avails much. Lord, move heaven and earth. to bring relief to your people. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.